0: Welcome to Cold Steel, the Canadian Journal of Surgery podcast, with your hosts Amir Farouk and Chad Ball. The goal of the CJS podcast is threefold. The first is to highlight the best research currently being completed by Canadian surgeons. The second is to offer educational topics for both surgeons and trainees alike. And most importantly, the third goal is to inspire discussion, thoughts, creativity, and career development in all Canadian surgeons. We hope you enjoy it. Dr. Matt Kaminsky is a trauma surgeon at Cook County Hospital in Chicago. He talked to us in this episode about what it is like to be a trauma surgeon at one of the busiest trauma centers in the U.S. He also talks about his unlikely journey from Winnipeg, Manitoba to Chicago and what trainees at all levels can learn from that experience. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel for the Canadian Journal of Surgery where we have posted Dr. Kaminsky's short yet very effective trauma mini-simulations links are in the show notes and enjoy the episode dr Kubinski, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and chat with us on cold steel we really do appreciate it and for those of us who don't know you as well can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up your training pathway and how you ended up in cook county
1: yeah so um basically i'm a winnipeg uh, manitoba kid um uh, so that's where my uh, initial formative college years were. I uh, did medical school there at the University of Manitoba, uh, followed by a general surgery uh, residency there. Um, I came to Chicago after that to do uh, a, a trauma surgery fellowship here at the Cook County uh, Trauma Unit. And then um, I subsequently went back to Winnipeg for uh, critical care uh, to your critical care uh, um, fellowship, uh, and uh, although I went back for the critical care, I kind of never left uh, Cook County after trauma, um, and uh, I took a job here uh, after, and uh, uh, have been enjoying it uh, uh, ever since um, here in uh, Chicago. There's a few iconic
2: public hospitals in the U.S. I would argue, being biased a bit, you know, Grady in Atlanta would be one, Bellevue. Mm-hmm. In uh, New York City would be one, maybe even LA County in, in LA, but certainly Cook um, sits as a member, if not above that crowd. So, to tell it for uh, tell us for people who maybe haven't been there, haven't had the pleasure of visiting, or certainly training there. What, what's it like to work at Cook? Like, how would you describe it? Maybe even put it in the context of, of Canadian hospitals, where you know most of the listeners would uh, would have been working.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's neat uh, working at a legacy institution or a legacy trauma unit. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess it depends on the person, but I really, really enjoy looking at the old building uh, on Harrison Street here, uh, like the old Cook County Hospital, and looking at the old roster, just the hundreds and hundreds of people that have rotated uh, and learned through here. Um, and I've Find that um, you have this like weight, and you know, you're on the shoulders of giants. Everyone's heard that term before, but you really are. And um, with that comes um, experience uh, from an institutional perspective in your group. Um, So when you guys, when we do things a certain way, um, there's usually a pretty good reason for it to be like that, and it's out of experience as opposed to just someone deciding to do something a, a certain way like that um and obviously uh, North America. Uh, has many um, legacy uh, institutions and even uh, locally um, uh, uh, you know for example the winnipeg um, G- general Hospital has a lot of really cool um, history uh, if you look back in the rosters of uh, any major uh, canadian hospital um but i th- I think the 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 biggest thing is that you you have um, you know, over 100 years of uh, of a huge roster of people coming through uh, and training here. Um, I think at one point in North America, uh, roughly a third of surgical trainees had either trained directly at Cook County or uh, um, rotated through. So uh, at one point, um, virtually everybody had trained in some way, shape, or form uh, at the Cook County Hospital. So, um, again, you, you might not feel it on a day-to-day uh, basis per se, uh, but it is uh, um, neat how you have this um, weight uh, behind, uh, behind you um, when you do things. Um Kind of hilarious as well uh some legacy trauma units uh um get into a certain frame of mind and it's hard to move them, so they may not be as adaptable uh as newer or other trauma units um so there's uh um you know maybe some negative sides uh, to it or uh, depending on where but uh i say at cook county we've always been uh try to maintain a the the leading edge of of trauma care. Um, and um, uh, we've always felt that uh, uh, that's the most appropriate way to do things, and that's been how we've done it since day one, Cook County being uh, one of the first uh, organized trauma units in uh, North America. Um, and, um, you know, we try to continue that uh, that legacy uh, to this day.
2: It's, it's interesting. When you walk into Cook or you walk into Grady, as two examples, you and and really honestly, independent of your level, whether you're there as a visitor or a trainee or or you know a guy like you is, who's now working there, you feel the, the exactly what you're saying. I mean, you you feel that weight, and even more importantly, I think you feel this this almost overwhelming commitment to patient care that seems to be you know unifocular. or it's 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 palpable. Do you feel that on a daily basis, that cook and and how do you process that—that um, that kind of privilege and that kind of commitment in and amongst your colleagues and in your institution?
1: Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think it—it it, it depends on the individual. There's some people that, um, you know, just walk in and it's—it's just like any other hospital, but. Uh, if you're if you open your eyes and you look around and you look at um, uh, the legacy wall and the history, uh, immediately I personally get that feeling um, that is very palpable, um, and um, with that I feel almost comes a, a responsibility um, to maintain the mission. Um, again, the mission here has always been to uh, provide care to the people that. Uh, can't afford it, and um, we save the people that uh, nobody else um, wants to save. Um, that's been the mission since day one. Actually, very Canadian, uh, and I feel very, very much at home. Um, and so on a daily basis, um, uh working here is very much in tune with my uh frame of reference for the world um and so it's very easy to to come to work uh and to continue on this mission it's not a problem it's not uh um a, a job to me it's like all of this is 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 fun so going going to work is is like going going to play on a, on a, on a daily daily basis
0: mm-hmm. Thank you. Can you, for those of us like myself who haven't ever been to Cook County, can you tell us a little bit about like what, what is the setup like for trauma? Is it, uh, is it similar to how things are set up, let's say, in Winnipeg or in other Canadian hospitals in terms of the trauma service, the e- eMERGE, or is, is Cook County very different than other places you've worked?
1: So uh, Cook County... Um unlike uh, most other trauma um, units um, in North America, is essentially a standalone uh, department. It's, so it's not, uh, it's not a uh, section of general surgery or of surgery. It's a, its own uh, department um, as well as its own ER for that matter. So we manage people... Uh, from start to finish uh, as uh, as a completely independent unit within our hospital. Um, So with that comes, uh, um, it's actually a lot easier to see patients right from the start of their care um, all the way to their uh, rehabilitation plan and and discharge uh, planning um so we're not uh consulted down to the ED to see someone already 5 to 10 or 30 or hours into their their care so we see them right from the start um there is uh in order to be admitted or uh sent to the trauma area you have to meet the injury criteria so it's not like we see uh slips and falls um uh and minor um, orthopedic or, or um, minor cuts and bruises, uh, you have to meet a, a level of, of, of injury uh, to be sent to the, uh, what we call the trauma front room or the trauma ER area. Um, there, the attending, I'll call myself and my peers. Uh, we work with uh, um, surgery residents as well as ED residents under our Uh, supervision uh, and we manage all aspects of care including all of the airway, central access, etc., etc. So, we we don't need to to shove um, uh, other practitioners out of the way. We are in the driver's seat right from the start. Um, So, it's quite easy to uh, manage a bunch of people like that. Uh, We don't have to be um, unnecessarily consulted or occasionally, uh, as happens in other EDs, you're you're consulted possibly a little bit late in the patient's care, uh, and you feel like you're behind the eight ball for the rest of rest of the day or for the rest of the time you're working on this patient. You, you might think, I, if only I had known an hour ago or seen the guy right from the start, we could have avoided um, a particular uh, outcome. Um, it's, it's, so, it's interesting, Matt. That, I mean, that that
2: structure, you know, you you kind of describe it very eloquently and nonchalantly, but it's it's such a challenge in Canadian trauma care. Um, not that collaboration with, you know, emergency room physicians and the Emerge in general. A general Emerge is not great, but um, there's certainly examples of, of delays to care that really challenge our ability um, to achieve some good outcomes in those sickest of the sick patients. So,
1: yeah, and, and, and I don't think people do it intentionally or people no. have egos. You know, everyone, every doctor wakes up uh, in the morning and goes to work wanting to do a good job. Nobody wants to, you know, not do a good job or not do a good uh, service to uh, patients. Uh, however, um, in the moment, um, practic- you'd be surprised how very smart people and a trauma team um, can fumble the football uh, in a high-stress moment. Um, and, uh, you know, I find it fascinating, like, why is that? Why is it when a particularly stressful event uh, or patient comes in that needs to be managed promptly? Um, it seems like practitioners' decision-making uh, or team skills um, uh, can can fumble um and and I'm always curious why that is uh I, I find it quite reversed here where as soon as we have a very sick patient um, uh it's unfortunately quite common here, but the, the team locks in, and the resuscitation and the whole process can be uh quite calm and collected um and there's no egos or fighting um uh decision making um, um elbows or punches depending on what uh, happens but uh um uh, it is nice to have a, a straight order of command here um and uh um things can be actually quite calm uh and um and i think you know overall we do a good job of it here um and i think that at other places um uh, depending of the relationship between the ED and the trauma service, um, uh, maintaining a level of collaboration, uh, um, just so you know that uh, you know who's in your uh, back pocket, so that you can have a, a good outcome for the patient, uh, particularly in the stressful um, environment uh, or the stressful, um, high acuity uh, type of uh, patients.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's so true, and the the reality is. You know, the the challenges that you described become larger of course when when your volume probably gets less. And um, you know, if you if you see a, a really severely injured patient, you know, based on your, your shift work pattern or your, your practice once a month or once every couple of months, it's it's hard not to reinvent the wheel and it's hard to achieve that flow and that calmness and in particular that quietness and the trauma bay. Uh, I think that's something that we certainly struggle with in, in Calgary and and in, uh, in Lower volume centers than say yours, no doubt.
1: Yeah, and um you know, I guess the, the subsequent question is uh um how do you optimize the team uh, for that? Um so an area of of uh, research that I, I kinda do is very very simple uh tasks. Uh we, we have a, a laminated card with a picture of SAB to the ca- cardiac box. Um and I just grab my residents and uh, nursing colleagues, actually, and just the whole team, and I say, you know, pretend uh, arrest is coming in, and we go to the trauma area, and I just put the card on the table and describe a situation, uh, and um, we basically go through an intubation. The intubation doesn't go well, so we have to correct the patient, uh, then the patient arrests, and we have to do a thoracotomy, and and the whole thing takes about 5 to 10 minutes, and it's basically like a, a critical systems walkthrough, um, and as well as a systems check. So if we have to crack somebody, uh, the resident physically looks at where we have the, the knife and the crack, uh kit um, so that we know where it is. So you'd, you'd be amazed how just seeing and touching and just confirming we have all of these critical systems um, uh, within you know, a few hours or a few days, we end up using all of these items. uh, And it's great when when the team on call has confirmed uh, these items and they've confirmed the team, especially when we have the nurses with us. Uh, And the whole process takes uh, five to ten minutes. So um, I think every institution is different, um, but um, uh, a few simulated uh, case scenarios Particularly in the actual environment that you're going to going to be working in um, to do uh, a few little dry runs, and it doesn't have to be a long sim where everybody sort of rolls their eyes and you know everyone has work to do, but uh, you could do these things fairly efficiently um, and um, uh, as a critical systems check, a team check, uh, and it only takes five to ten minutes, um, and it's a very small investment of time that pays dividends uh, should you uh, actually need to use these items.
0: We can't not have you on the podcast and not ask what's your greatest or craziest story from working at Cook County. (laughs)
2: Um, The the, the greatest story that you can tell publicly on a podcast. (laughs) What do (laughs) you (laughs) mean?
1: Yeah. um, You know, I, I have to admit I, I've, I've seen it all. Um if you were to scroll through my pictures on my my cell phone, um you'll see uh again crazy uh uh gunshot wounds and things that you thought uh would be impossible. Uh ligated IVCs, aortas, thoracotomies, um various implements uh through body parts, everything. Um and then, as you're swiping through, then there's pictures of uh, my kids, or my car, or trips. Um, so um, it, it's kind of hilarious if you were to just scroll through my pictures. I think you'd have uh, um, just a, an absolute—you know—that's my life. But it's a, it's a whole crazy mix <laughs> of all kinds of uh, uh, insane events. Um,
2: uh, it's uh, funny you say that, Matt,
1: because you know you and I were
2: talking about this. But since uh, since I was down in Chicago with you. John Corbyk, um, uh, you know, as, a, as, as a, for those who don't know him, as a, as a Canadian leader of trauma, um, he was just recently on a plane and they pulled off when he landed back in Calgary. They pulled off all the um, essentially middle-aged Caucasian males and they pulled them through um, security and they looked at all of their laptops and their phones and we can only guess what they were looking for. But he said after about 10 minutes into looking through all of his pictures because they were exactly the same as yours and mine and, and all of ours it was crazy injuries and and kids. All the security guys were all huddled around the computer with their minds blown. So, I thought it was fantastic.
1: Hilarious. Um, yeah, and I think, uh, y- you know, um, in my, like, my literally last case I did uh, yesterday, um, gunshot, uh, times 21, so 21 holes. Um, So he came in perioress, thoracotomy, his heart's beating, OR. um, And it's amazing, and Chad, you're at this skill level, but um, you have a a Cattell brash, Maddox, everything exposed. I'm not kidding you, within 60 seconds. Um, And it's done, like I'm not a cancer surgeon, so I, I do all of this with uh, blunt or with a, a curved Mayo scissor, but uh, um, it's unreal how once you're in this business, how fast you can get. And when your your skills are just honed in, um, and the, this guy had a, a left uh, renal sort of blowout uh, right at the aorta, uh, so we got some clamps on it, controlled the bleeding, um, and he came to the um, ICU uh, damage control um uh unfortunately just physiologic uh, exhaustion uh, he ultimately expired but he was alive for uh, 12 more hours and uh um had we had he not been transferred from another outlying facility so had I got him honestly I think if I got him 10 minutes earlier I would have saved him but uh um perhaps um it's, it's just neat where you could see people go to that physiologic point of no return um on a regular regular basis uh and you're trying to pull them back um and uh, save the the 1% that uh that would not make it anywhere else like we're trying to save the people that uh um that are right at that brink um and it's uh you know it's uh i, I feel quite fortunate that uh, i can have um, a part in this person's you know worst day ever uh but you're you're trying to work on it but uh um you know i i've seen it all i can't pr- think of uh pr- particular cases, Um, you know, I've had gunshots to the heart, asymptomatic, uh, uh, bullet emboli, Um, again, gunshots to the head, and the guy's GCS-15 wasn't even aware that he was shot, Um, uh, and then just the hilariousness that can happen on a busy night um, um, in in a busy uh, American trauma unit, Uh, you you name it, I've, I've probably seen it a couple times.
2: It, Matt, one of the things that we've noticed is kind of a, a bit of a pattern and certainly not to say it's, it's everyone that we've interviewed and talked to, but um, there's no question there's a significant group of, of folks that we've talked to that that really have special partnerships with their subspecialty groups. And, you know, from the outside, having met you guys, I would certainly classify your group, at, your trauma group at, at Cook as, as that description. You know, we, we've heard from you about uh, the structure and the volume and the content, but tell us a little bit about um, you know, your partners and what makes your group so so unique and so special?
1: You know, I, I think what's very empowering here is that uh, because we see so much surgical pathology, um, uh, w- the philosophy here, again, and this has been since day one, is that we can manage everything surgically and absolutely everything. And we have the ability and support from our uh, subspecialists is that w- we can go into any compartment in terms of damage control or or anything. So I do cardiac surgery, I do vascular surgery, um, I could go in the neck and chest, um, uh, I won't do brain surgery, but if I had to, I could do that, and I do minor orthopedic stuff. Uh, so from our subspecialists, um, the understanding is we're allowed to do that. Um, and they support us for that because uh, um, they're elective surgeons, and so uh, there 's a difference between being an elective cardiac surgeon and being a trauma surgeon The, the disease process uh, is uh, different so uh, by any means we are not um, we are not consultologists so uh, we don't uh, give up our surgical procedures to um, subspecialists unless uh, we uh, specifically ask for it. Obviously, orthopedics, neurosurgery—that um, uh, has to be done by those procedures. But it's done after we consult them for for those uh, as, uh, specific uh, items. Um, I think you know, fifty percent of my case logs are in the chest. Uh, I've always enjoyed thoracic surgery so um it's it's really cool that we get to get to do all of these all, all of these things um and even in the post operative course if we have to do uh, a VATS or a video um uh thoracoscopic uh, drainage um I'm very well versed in that uh, rib plating um so um uh it, it's fun that I'm I'm not just doing colies and hernias uh, I get to do uh, thoracic surgeries um and uh again gunshots to the heart or stabs of the heart i'm very comfortable around uh these uh, um these uh, compartments uh as well as uh, you know major vascular liver. Um, my hepatobiliary skill set is probably different than yours, uh, Chad. <laughs> Every time I'm in in that area, it's usually uh dog meat, uh, but I I can usually control the bleeding. Um, and uh, um, but I, I might not be as eloquent uh, as you. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that, dude. I don't know. Um, well, the
2: next thing I want to talk to you about is, you know, as as you're aware, Morad Hamid published uh, um, two. Sort of surgical uh, magazines called Roscoe, and you were involved in in an article that talked about the the spike in the violence epidemic and really really gunshots in Chicago. Um, and I think it's probably quieted a little bit now. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but what can you for those that, who maybe didn't read that that really superb article or don't really know a lot about it? What, what was going on there, and what was Chicago like at that time?
1: Yeah, and no one knows exactly yeah. or um everyone has various uh, theories um so uh, 2016 uh was one of the most violent years uh in Chicago um in a very long time uh and so uh i think generally for example chicago was averaging maybe low 500 uh murders a year most of it by gunshots. Uh, in that period, uh, we were around the 800 uh, murder uh, level, so a huge spike um, um, in uh, uh, murders and along that, um, uh, you could imagine just how many people were shot or severely injured. Again, most of this is all of gunshot wounds. Um, exact exactly what occurred i don't know if it was a, a drug uh, war um different uh, fads of um um drug use or something um it um it's it's a bit unclear um, but that winter, uh, going into 2016, we knew it was going to be a bloody summer because usually, even in Chicago in the winter time, things slow down and we're on a different pace. Uh, but the pace was r- relentless at that time. So we had, you know, at any given time, a full ICU or our trauma ICU's 12 beds. It was full all the time, and we had you know half of them open abdomens in various phases of their trauma laparotomies and closures um and we just kept on getting them um and so it was uh, it was um uh, re- relentless um the, the cause is unsure um again these are these crazy things that happened in chicago It's a it's a railroad um city Uh, and a um, a container from the Ruger, I think it was the Ruger Gun Manufacturing uh, Company, uh, one of the containers got broken into. And so into the south side of Chicago, a container full of high-powered military rifles were released. (laughs) Um, And so in 2016, uh, most of our stuff is low... uh, low-velocity uh, arms, so pistols and and occasionally um, shotguns and stuff, um, but we were having essentially military uh, wounds uh, during that period. It's quieted down since, uh, but two gang factions were going at each other uh, with high-powered um, uh, arms. Uh, and so you can imagine the injury patterns uh, of that. So I'm not a military surgeon um, uh, at all. I've never been in military combat, but uh, during that period, we were getting uh, um, military type of uh, injuries, uh, and it's uh, it, and it's just night and day the the um, the difference in in uh, wound patterns um, and the severity that. Uh, that occurs with these these type of wounds. Um, so the the initial question of why I have no idea. If if someone knew, um, they could. Um uh, uh, try to fix it, um, it predates uh, President Trump, so this was on obama 's watch uh, the violence in chicago but it since uh, subsequently gone gone down um, uh, but we can 't blame uh, dr or, um, president trump uh, on on any of those years there <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, one of the things Matt you and I have talked about is sort of accessing amazing places or people or or training programs in our case within trauma um, from where you start. And by that, you know, I mean, there's an Alberta boy coming out of out of this province. Um, the training that I received in South Africa, or Colombia and eventually Atlanta, really, there was no local link to those places. That was something, in my case, I had to figure out. And you have really the same story about, about Cook coming out of Winnipeg. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't a friendship or a link between those institutions. So I wondered if you could... Maybe talk about doing that a little bit and provide some advice to maybe um, uh, students or residents or even fellows that are in those scenarios across Canada. So I don't think it's uncommon uh, across the board, and it's certainly not uh, uncommon outside of trauma as well.
1: Yeah, well, in um, in typical Winnipeg fashion, uh, my path to Cook County started with a frozen battery in a car that wouldn't start. Um, and so I was on a, um, I think, a cardiac surgery uh, rotation, and as I, as I was going to the uh, parking garage uh, at the end of the, the day, um, the cardiac anesthetist was coming back into the hospital uh, grumbling that his car had frozen over and wouldn't start. Um, and, um, so, uh, I, I drove him home and as we were, uh, chit-chatting, I said, uh, I was interested in, in trauma. I was still PGY2 or so, uh, and, uh, he had trained at, uh, WashU in St. Louis, um, and was co-fellows with a trauma surgeon at, at Cook County. Uh, and so he forwarded me, her, uh, her, her contact, um, and I subsequently arranged a, um, a uh a um, a resident uh, elective uh, rotation uh here as a PJY three uh I loved it and then um again applied for the fellowship and, and got it. So so again my direct path to Cook County was a, a, a frozen frozen battery. Um I probably would have looked it up um uh, and Cold called some places, but um, having rotated uh, at a resident as a resident, um, it made me know uh, what I was going to get into if I were to uh, choose this fe- fellowship. Um, I knew the staff um, and everything, and re- and uh, uh, really wanted to be he- here for for my uh, my trauma fellowship. Um, so I think that it's. And it's just amazing that uh, um, I know residents often uh, want mentorship, which is very, very important, um, but also to look for the opportunities uh, within um, your network um, of of people to, you know, because if you think of it, the medical and surgical community, um, actually the surgical community specifically, Pretty small, if you think of it, uh, and so everybody kind of knows uh, each other. Um, uh, but look at uh, who you know, and uh, um, to capitalize on op- opportunities, um, uh, and even to backtrack just to look for those opportunities uh, should they ever should they uh, occur, because um, you'd be surprised how your cardiac anesthetist knows trauma surgeons in the U.S. or your um, uh, your faculty in a small town in um, in Canada somewhere might know some uh, big people uh, or at some big institutions. And to uh, it's amazing how just a, a quick email and a good word uh, can get you a, a life-changing uh, rotation as a resident.
2: Yeah, it's so, it's so true. And I think we all have to keep in mind, certainly as we're coming up, that most of these quote unquote big or iconic people or places, they're in it for the right reasons. They love to train, you know, keen, enthusiastic folks from anywhere in the world. And so they usually are quite approachable once you figure out how to link in with them, whether that's, you know, it's you said, cold calling them or a connection or emailing them or whatever. Um, you know, people shouldn't be nervous about that. They should pursue that and be motivated by it for sure.
1: But yeah, and, or, or, yeah sure. or just gonna expand on that um uh, occasionally people uh i think uh or residents feel or students feel that uh, their mentors will make their career uh better uh or if i know this guy um it'll uh it'll make my career better uh i think ultimately the the resident's still responsible for their career um and If you're passionate about whatever area you're interested in, um, that just lights up your mentors and your contacts to just make things better for you. So if you see a brilliant individual that loves trauma surgery and is just gushing it out, uh it, it motivates your mentors and all the people around you to make things happen uh your way uh if you're uh, a future hepatobiliary guy and you you could see that um it's not hard to to motivate a, a guy like you Chad, to just like wow you you're spectacular we we got to get you you got to go talk to this person uh and um uh but ultimately it's that resident and i think uh um whatever you Specialty, uh, or whatever you're passionate about. If you're if you exude that, um, it's very motivating for the people around you to make thing, good things happen for them. Yeah, I mean it's uh, at,
2: at the trainer level, right? It's such a selfish pleasure to be around those people that are that are so motivated. It's 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 rejuvenating. It's it's, it's so fun for sure. The last question I wanted to ask you, Matt, before we we let you go because I know you're busy today. Um, you know, surgical education is clearly a thirty thousand foot term, and, and means maybe it's a bit nebulous. It means different things to different folks. But you're clearly a guy from Winnipeg through your fellowship at Cook all the way uh, to the end. That that really, I think, got the most out of your your training environment. You're sort of uh, I mean, touching on that or dancing around that right now. But wh- what would your advice to to trainees of all levels um, be about getting the most out of out of your training and and the mindset with which you'll you'll mostly succeed.
1: Um, yeah, I think again from a thirty thousand foot perspective, um, uh, you know, always to be true to yourself. Uh, uh, I know that sounds very cliche, but um, occasionally you'll see uh, residents um, focusing on a specialty um and i think that they like the people that are in that specialty but they may not um or it it appears that they may not really really be passionate about that uh, area so uh, to just be uh, cognizant uh, of that so residents should always be uh really focused on uh what they enjoy on a day-to-day uh, basis whatever that may be and that could be very bread and butter general surgery and or rural surgery Uh, it could be uh, on the critical care side it could be breast whatever it is uh, to to ask yourself do I really enjoy this and I really want to um, and I, and I, th- I think residents, if they focus on an area that they really uh, find easy or enjoyable, uh, to to capitalize on that. You don't have to be um, anything in particular. Um, sub- subsequently, uh, I think uh, use your or I guess the other thing is your five years of uh, surgery training or your residency, um, consider it a five-year interview. Um, and so um, uh, people that uh, are your teachers or within the hospital um uh to To be cognizant that in a couple of years these might be your partners um and so to be uh um to capitalize on your relationships and and maintain a good relationship with uh with all of your faculty members, even ones that you as a resident you might feel uh have no Immediate means to your uh, fellowship or your goals. Uh, you'd be surprised how, uh, like I said, everybody knows each other, um, and to maintain a um, uh, maintain those con- contacts. And then, uh, probably the last thing, I think a positive can-do attitude um, is uh, really important. Um, the medical world, the hospitals, it's basically like, and surgery in general is just a series of frustrations, back-to-back-to-back-to-back, and how you manage that. Um, And so um, a positive uh, resident uh, and a can-do attitude can be quite refreshing. Uh, And those are the people that hospitals want to hire, people that are uh, looking to make things better in a positive way. There's no shortage of things to complain about, um, but people that uh, get hired are the ones that have that skill set or that uh, attitude that will change things for, for the better.
0: You've been listening to Cold Steel, the official podcast of the Canadian Journal of Surgery. If you've liked what you've been listening to, please leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your comments and feedback So feel free to email us at podcast.cjs at gmail.com or connect with us on Twitter at CanJSurge. Thanks again.